Hi friends, welcome to the Kansas City MomCast, a place to learn, connect, and grow in a relevant and intentional way. We're your hosts, Sarah and Megan. Join us as we interview experts in the field and hear from local moms just like you. This is a podcast for Kansas City moms by Kansas City moms. We know that your time is precious and we're grateful you've chosen to spend some of it with us. Thank you for being a part of the Kansas City Mom Collective community. If you're scrolling through social media, you're going to see something about a weight loss drug or weight loss injectable. Online pharmacies, medical spas, and diet clinics are popping up to provide women access to weight loss medications to help lose weight. Today we're chatting with Dr. John F. Tan, a board-certified general surgeon and fellowship-trained bariatric surgeon with HCA Midwest Health. Hey, Dr. Tan, excited to talk to you today. Thanks for being here. Hey, anytime. Glad to do it. So we are talking all things weight loss today. Um, So I first wanted to talk to you just about um, kind of some of the fads we're seeing lately or, you know, short-term solutions. Um, And so can you talk about like the diabetes pills or shots that I feel like everybody, every mom at my school is talking about and seeing success with? Is that a fact and is it safe? Uh, It is safe. There is the concern right now with any fad is that it's going to get utilized in a fad way and not in the way that it was designed to be. Now, the trick there is that most of these drugs were not necessarily designed to be weight loss drugs, just like a lot of other drugs in industry are being used for something besides their original purpose. Uh, And so then it's just important to have it done in the right way. And they are good. Uh, but they're, they are something that we like to see in a treatment regimen where it belongs. And I can go into that a little bit more uh, if you'd like. Sure. Yeah. So when we look at metabolic disease and obesity or being overweight, we really need to see a genetic predisposition in someone in order for them to gain weight. Because if you think about People who are trying to gain weight, imagine an NFL linebacker, for instance, Mm -hmm. or an offensive lineman, they want to be as big as they can be, but they can't be as big as they want because there are limits to their genetic profile that stop them from gaining too much weight, even if they're eating 15,000 calories a day. And when they stop doing that, they will lose a lot of the weight they gained. Mm -hmm. It's similar for people who are trying to lose weight. If their body wants to be 400 pounds, they can diet and exercise and starve themselves all they want, and they may lose some unhealthy weight. That's an unhealthy way to lose weight. And, but they're going to gain it back the moment they return to a normal lifestyle. And when we see skinny people that eat whatever they want, that never exercise, that never gain a pound, and we see someone who's been trying their entire life to lose weight, and anytime they lose weight, they're going to gain it back. And they're just constantly fighting and saying, why do I weigh 100 pounds more than all the rest of these people that I see eating more than me and working out less than me? Well, it's because it's all rooted in a genetic predisposition to have a problem with the hundreds of metabolic equations that are going on to control the processing and storage of fuel. So when we see this as a part of a treatment regimen, they are, people ask me all the time, like, what is 
what are these shots going to do to surgery? Well, first of all, I'd love for us to figure out exactly what the problem is so we can cure everyone. Right. But for now, they fit really well, both pre and post surgery. And there's a lot of people who, you know, if someone needs to lose, you know, 10 or 20 pounds, well, diet, lifestyle, exercise, modifications, et cetera, for them. If someone needs to lose, you know, 30, 40, 50 pounds, that's where those medications can really play a role. And I think they're doing more for the awareness of obesity as a disease and not a choice because we see them acting in our metabolism. And most commonly right now is the GLP-1 inhibitors that act on certain activating cells in our duodenum and other areas around the pancreas that control a lot of our metabolism and the storage and processing of those fuels that say, hey, this is a genetic problem. This is not just about eating less. Mm -hmm. This is about uh, the, the changing of the metabolic processes that take place. And that's why those medicines work really well and can be successful. Okay. So do you, would you prescribe those or suggest them for somebody who already has tried diet and exercise? Is that the normal evolution of things? Yeah. You know, when we look at it, you know, if we think about someone who comes in with high cholesterol or elevated blood pressure to their primary care physician, it's going to be something where they determine what, how they're going to start their treatment process about how severe their disease is. Okay. You know, if someone comes in and they have a blood pressure of 200 over 150, they're going to send them to the emergency room. Right. But if someone comes in with a lower blood pressure, they might tell them to diet and exercise and then come back. And if it's even a little bit more elevated, they may start them on a medication then and then and come back and see. And it would be very similar for me where if someone comes in and they need to lose, you know, just a little bit of weight, yeah, diet and exercise might be a great idea. If they're in that realm where their BMI, and that's how we measure this, is their body mass index, which is a category of measurement based on their height and weight and a lot of fancy calculations, mm-hmm. that, you know, if they have a BMI above 30, that's considered obese. And I would recommend anyone should be looking into a medication at that point and whether or not their insurance covers it. But with the ASMBS, which is the American Society of Metabolic and Bariatric Surgery, they've changed the recommendations recently in terms of the disease process and where we're doing surgery to even lower that the standards uh, to where we should be doing surgery earlier uh, on those same people as well. Okay. So looking at, you know, moving into surgery, um, what are the, like, uh, well, who is surgery an option for? Like who should just stick to the medications and you see success with? And then what group of people are you recommending consider surgery? Well, so the, that's a great question. Um, it, and, and like I said, it's changed recently right. in terms of what they've recommended for surgery and not all insurance companies have adopted those changes yet, but I'm still submitting them. And because that's the only way we're going to get, you know, the insurance companies to change. But when we look at someone that has tried, um, one of the recommended medicines, or if, you know, they've tried that and been successful, what we see in a lot of those trials is that they have to continue that medication forever okay. or they regain the weight. Right. And that, you know, is something to think about if you're young and the medicine is not super covered or is expensive or it changes or it loses its effectiveness, you know, that's where surgery would be an option. So and that's one of the things that they changed in the recommendation. So right now, Right now, most insurance companies operate with the fact that if your BMI is 40 or above, 
you would be qualified for surgery as long as your insurance company covers it, no matter what your other medical conditions are. And then they would say 35 BMI with something like type 2 diabetes or heart disease or sleep apnea. And then they would say, uh, you know, anything under that would not be qualified. Well, the recommendations have changed to where they're saying anyone with a BMI over 30 with type 2 diabetes would be qualified. And anyone over 35, regardless of their medical comorbidities, would be qualified. And then they add one more thing, which is my favorite part, which is anyone with a BMI over 30 who does not achieve substantial or durable weight loss uh, or have a comorbidity improvement using non-surgical methods, which that would include a lot of the people that have tried medicine and not been successful or not gotten to where they want to be. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay, so I feel like more and more we're hearing that obesity is, at least in the U.S., a growing problem. Um, Can you talk about the current statistics on obesity that you see? Yeah, I mean, it's continued to increase uh, every year. And now we are, I mean, we are at tens of millions, uh, you know, 70, 80 million now of people that are obese. And there are more people becoming qualified for surgery than getting surgery. And part of the reason for that is, is there's such a stigma with obesity and everyone is in a restaurant or they're watching people in society and they just look at someone and they say, oh, they're fat, lazy, and they make bad choices in their life. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate because that's not true. And that's and the people who think that are smart people. They're qualified people. They're, they're physicians. They're healthcare people. They're people in nutrition. And they are, they've decided that obesity is a choice, not a disease. And unfortunately, I think most of the people who think that are the people who don't have to make the choice. Right. And the people with obesity are still sitting there, like we said earlier, saying, I eat less than everyone else I know, and I weigh 100 more pounds. Yeah. And they don't know what to do. And so then they tell their, they tell their um, primary cares that they're dieting and exercising, counting their calories, and are getting told that they're not because, not by all, but by some, they're getting told that they're not or else they would have seen success. And unfortunately, I've even heard people say that, you know, they need to duct tape their mouth shut. And it's the, 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 what they say about people that are trying so hard to lose weight and not seeing success and they're not given the tools and they're not given the resources and they're not even given the knowledge that this is something that they need help with, with treatment and medicine and surgery. Okay. So how, um, do we reverse this? I mean, what is the the key to success here. Yeah. So it's about understanding that it is that metabolic disease is a disease and that we have treatments for it. And surgery is one of the best treatments for it, especially once we get to the point of the severity that we need it. So, you know, if someone comes in, like I said, with elevated cholesterol to the clinic, yeah, we'll start them on some diet and exercise and maybe on a statin. But if they come into the emergency room with a heart attack, well, we're gonna we're not gonna tell them to diet and exercise. Right. We're gonna say, hey, let's do a stent or put in a let's do an open heart bypass, depending on what we need to save your life. And that's where people with morbid obesity are. Those are the heart attack patients coming into the emergency room. And so that's why we talk about surgery right away. Mm-hmm. And we don't necessarily go through the whole diet, exercise, medication um, standpoint uh, leading up to that. And when we look at surgery, the surgeries, I'm not trying to restrict what someone's eating. 
And a lot of people that get surgery don't necessarily notice restrictions. Some people do, some people don't. Um, and so when we see that, we have to say, well, what is the surgery doing? It, well, with the gastric sleeve, we're removing a lot of the hormones and enzymes and neural tissue that control metabolism. And with the gastric bypass, we're changing the absorption pathway so that food is absorbed differently and the activation of certain cells in that drainage network are not activated. And with a duodenal switch, we're doing a combination of the both for even more advanced severe disease. And so the, just the understanding, how do we reverse this? How do we begin treatment is the reason that I do what I do now. It's because I'm passionate about understanding that this is a disease and that there's a treatment that's for it. We're not just trying to make people eat less. That's a diet. We know diets don't work. We know that there's weight regain immediately after uh, changing really unhealthy diets. So how do you know when a patient comes in? I mean, you know, you talked about the severe comorbidities, but if, you know, someone's listening to this and thinking, you know, maybe surgery is an option for them. How do you, what's the process you walk through of looking at their lifestyle and their diet and kind of talking through the options? Um, so, yeah. It's a great question. Like, what is the patient journey from start to right. yes. from start to finish? You know, what I what I remind people when I give talks about how to deal with a bariatric population. Again, we're dealing with a population that has a disease that needs to understand that. But more than more more often than not, everybody else needs to understand that so that we understand how to approach the situation. Because the people looking at the possibility of surgery have been through years or months of studying and research and trying and failing to lose weight. And so there's the, the journey to surgery involves years sometimes of someone going back and forth. So then getting to the office is a big deal. Uh, and, you know, talking to, you know, talking to the surgeon is a big deal, or even being in a medical bariatrician or a medical doctor looking at weight loss medicine is a big deal. From that point, it's really about looking at the BMI, what their qualifications are, and what their insurances are. Okay. My clinic, I don't, we don't have specific clinic requirements. I just follow what your insurance requires. That way we just jump through the hoops that your insurance is making us jump through. Got it. And really making sure that from a medical perspective, you don't need to have cardiac clearance or kidney clearance or pulmonary clearance uh, beforehand. But then we just check those boxes. And then we move towards any of the, quote, physician-supervised weight loss visits that we have to check off and nutrition visits. And then once we get to that point, on average, depending on insurance, it takes about two to five months to get to the point where we can actually do surgery uh, from, from the initial visit. Okay. And then what is the follow-up um, after that? Do you coach patients through... Mm-hmm like future changes they have to make because of the weight loss surgery? Yes. Um, And there's, you you know, classes ahead of time. There's a support group and resources for before and after. Uh, We're we're constantly, uh, you know, meeting with multiple people in our office, both um, patient advocates and nurse practitioner, dietitians. uh, And then we do that same afterwards. And with our practice, You'll see me, the the surgeon, multiple times over the first year. And then we go out, uh, as well as our nurse practitioner and dietitian, 
multiple times, you know, a week and a month and three months and six months, nine months and a year or any other uh, times that they need to be seen. And then yearly after that, because it is a chronic disease that we need to monitor long term. And then um, can you talk about, you kind of referenced this, but there's a couple different surgery options. Um, Can you just walk us through briefly what those are and how they help with weight loss? Yes. So there's the one, the main ones when we look at what's covered by insurance is going to be a gastric sleeve, a gastric bypass and a duodenal switch. There's other surgeries. I mean, the band was something that happened a while back, but that's just something that we take out uh, now. Um, and then there's balloons and endoscopic procedures. Those are not covered by insurance. And I personally think are, uh, a waste of money, uh, because the, when you look at the medications that people can get nowadays, and those are more of where those other, uh, non covered by insurance surgeries are going to land in terms of how much weight they're going to get off. And the reviews are pretty mixed at this point. And then when you look at surgery, these are all surgeries that are done laparoscopically and have really low risk uh, for most people because we're operating on people, you know, on healthy tissue and we have really good equipment to use, uh, you know, to do the surgery really safely. So when we do those surgeries, the gastric sleeve is where we're really just removing uh, the, the larger part of the stomach so that we're removing the enzymes and hormonal activation and a lot of the neural tissue that surrounds the stomach that controls metabolism. And when we do that, it does reduce the stomach in size, but the more important part is how much we're taking off because that part that's coming off is the part that's controlling a lot of the metabolism. And so that's for more lower uh, BMI uh, people and people without a lot of comorbidities because it doesn't help as much with those other comorbidities. The gastric bypass has been around for decades uh, and, and is something that most people can get and is definitely the thing that I probably do more of than anything else okay. because it, it really reverses diabetes in 80 to 90% of people, even if they're taking insulin. Wow. Uh, I had a person today who was taking over 250 units of insulin uh, at the time of their surgery, this was their six month follow-up today. Mm-hmm. And they were able to get off insulin completely last week wow. and they're no longer requiring insulin, which is just absolutely amazing. And it's very typical, yeah. even if they're taking less insulin or if they're taking no insulin at all, sometimes they're off insulin and off all their diabetic medications within a week of surgery. Mm-hmm. So that's really, really great. No one really understands why we just know that it works. <laughs> so yeah. it's great. Um, there's a lot of theories and in, in stuff with regarding to the activation of a lot of the cells in the duodenum. But for that, um, really, we don't remove anything from the body. We're just dividing the stomach so that the food enters a smaller portion of the stomach. And the rest of the stomach just drains naturally, as it always has. And then we divide the bowel further down the stream, and we just kind of change the drainage pattern so that the enzymes and the food mix a little bit farther downstream. And that's all that we really do in that surgery. Um, Yeah. Okay. Uh, And then with the the duodenal switch, uh, and there's a a more popular – the surgery I perform more often with the duodenal switch – versus a traditional duodenal switch or a BPD or a biliopancreatic diversion is a SADI. So that's a S-A-D-I, single anastomosis to ostomy. is what that stands for. <laughs> Say that 10 times. Uh-huh. So then, 
Yeah. Um, so then that is kind of a combination between the sleeve and the bypass. And it's going to be even for more severely obese people. So those are those, uh, the much bigger BMIs over 60 uh, that we look at that procedure on because that gets even more weight off. And when we look at the duodenal switch, sometimes people see that there's a higher risk of diarrhea or dumping syndrome with those. A lot of that's really just food and diet related. Um, and we see less of that with the Sadie than the traditional duodenal switch. So, and there's, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, so I was going to say, um, I try, I draw, I do a lot of drawing on a smart board during all the new patient appointments. And I have some videos up online and, uh, that go over some of that because it's really hard to conceptualize these surgeries uh, just by listening to it. And so I've drawn those out and I also have a lot of videos up on YouTube that actually are of some of the surgeries themselves. If people are interested in that, if it doesn't gross them out or scare them, that that's also something that they can look at to make this make a little bit more sense. And you also told me before our interview that you're a little bit of a TikTok star and you get some <laughs> girls that way, which yeah. I thought was just fascinating how people are finding, you know, help. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't going to do it because I, I try, I don't spend as much time on social media, but, um, I started making, actually I made a couple of TikTok videos and then they really gained some traction. And a lot of it's because, uh, it really, the, my message really resonates with people, uh, you know, kind of explaining metabolic disease as a disease and not a choice. And, talking about revisions and trying to explain the disease process, it's, it's gained a lot of traction and I get a decent number of referrals purely from TikTok and online social media. Well, I think that's neat because, you know, like you were saying, if you have your primary care doctor or other, you know, medical professionals in your life are telling you just to diet or work out and it'll all be better. It's neat yeah. to access you in a way that, you know, is probably more comfortable. Yeah. And I try to reply, uh, you know, I'll, I've respond, you know, I'll respond to, to comments and, you know, messages and stuff on there as much as I can. Uh, I do all, I'm still doing all of that myself uh, and trying to manage all that myself, which yeah. doesn't work. But, um, you know, I, I try to be approachable and relatable and answer questions as best as I can. Yeah. Um, okay. So backtracking a little bit, um, some of you, some of the, I guess, more traditional strategies for weight loss maybe can work in combination with surgery or the pills and injectables. Can you talk about some of those just strategic, like lifestyle shifts that maybe are good to implement for anybody listening, um, but also work with some of these, you know, bigger options. Yeah. Uh, you know what I really like what you just said is anyone. And what I try to tell my patients routinely is I don't really expect anything different from their lifestyle changes as any other person. You know, we really focus, uh, on morbidly obese people with regard to diet and exercise and lifestyle modifications, but we really should be looking at the society because the reason we've gotten to where we have with disease is you see, we are in one of the most unhealthy societies that we've ever had in you know history as we can look because we've got so much better treatments for all these diseases. And so then generation after generation are passing down these bad genes that have led us to the point where we have really bad genetics and bad disease, but we have really good treatments. Right. So that's, 
that's why we are where we are. And when we look at someone post-bariatric surgery or someone pre-bariatric surgery, I want their diet and lifestyle modifications to look like I would expect mine to be or anyone else who is not suffering from morbid obesity because we want to be focusing on whole foods. We want to be focusing on things that grow or eat on the ground. And we want to be focused on getting rid of all of the chemicals that are being added to a lot of the food because that will help overall. We can also implement things like intermittent fasting. We can look at things like alternate day fasting and we can see how specific diets that hone in on these type of principles can be adopted. And while they may be difficult, it's really something that we should expect everyone to be doing. So if you look at every diet that's ever been studied over the history of time, mm-hmm. the most effective overall study, or, you know, studies that have been done, look at something like a Mediterranean diet, right. which is going to include all types of food. It's not necessarily restricting anything mm-hmm. uh, in terms of major categories. And that's generally speaking, pretty good advice where if we're eating something that grows or eats on this earth, then it's probably okay, especially when we look at moderation and making better choices inside those categories. So that's kind of what I would expect. And when we look at someone, you know, say post, you know, someone with cancer, someone with heart disease, someone with, you know, colon cancer or a small bowel resection for some other disease, there's going to be diet changes associated with a lot of diseases that we look at. Kidney failure, liver failure. We have all these diet requirements. So we're really, when we get back to the root of it, we really need to make sure that we're not increasing the lack of moderation. And that's what our American diet is, is a lack of, of moderation of specific categories. Mm-hmm. Thinking probably lots of things besides food. Um, yeah. <laughs> what role does exercise um, or does moving play? A huge role post surgery okay. and pre surgery. So, any the better, and you look at this with orthopedic surgery too, it's pretty well documented that when you have failure of a joint, if you are able to continue to work out and move and maintain muscle mass, to the point where it's not too painful, you're going to have better outcomes. And the same way is with any other type of surgery or stress we're going to put on your body. If you're able to continue to move and exercise, even if it's not showing you weight loss, you're still building muscle stamina and increasing your nutritional capacity. And so that makes any stress or the stress of surgery on your body better because your mobility is better. After surgery, it makes a much bigger difference because all of a sudden now we're dealing with a quote normal playing field and diet and exercise are going to make a bigger difference. But what I'll tell patients is, is I want them walking is key. Intentional walking is amazing. You don't need to go out and start running marathons. Just walking's great. Swimming's fine. And doing sitting down and doing weights at the gym on the weight machines and activating those large muscle groups are going to be a better benefit long-term than trying to all of a sudden become a cardio master uh, and really slave yourself away to all this extra time in the gym. There's a lot of really great apps and YouTube's great for, you know, people, you know, coming up with workout plans that capitalize on decreasing the amount of time that we have to spend in the gym. 
interesting. So I imagine this job is pretty rewarding for you, um, just seeing, you know, success. Can you talk about just how you approach your care like a partnership between, you know, patients and their families and their oh in their goals? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's part of the reason that I also do some social media stuff is just to continue to be able to connect with people on there uh outside of clinic. Um but in clinic, you know, the follow-ups, those are just today I had a lot of one-year follow-ups, which is really great. I mean, that's a that's a standpoint where I mean, they are just they have seen such a dramatic difference in their life. And at that point, they've done so many things that they haven't done before, they haven't done in years. And that's, and I'll, I tell them all, uh, if you get me talking, I'll talk forever. But if I I tell them, I'm like, that's why I do what I do. I mean, I thought about uh, doing vascular surgery or cardiac surgery and, you know, or trauma surgery. But when I was a resident, I was able to be a part of a pretty big bariatric program and work with some pretty incredible people and see that when you're a cancer surgeon or a vascular surgeon or a cardiac surgeon, while we need those people, the disease process that they're treating has a much shorter lifespan because those, you know, and what they're doing, you know, you're seeing a lot more failures and you're seeing people at the end of their disease. With my job in bariatric surgery, I'm seeing a lot of people at the beginning of their disease that have 60 years left in their life if they get cured or if they get treatment for this disease. And that's what I like to see. I like to see patients doing really well forever and getting off their medicines and getting off, uh, you know, taking pills and being able to play with their kids and grandkids. That's and and do that for decades mm-hmm. instead of just treating disease only to see cancer finally get them. Okay, Dr. Tan, um, this has all been so helpful, and I know there's probably people listening who now are looking for that first step. Um, What would you recommend? Well, so when we're doing this, uh, the best first step would be looking at just touching base with a bariatric surgeon. The biggest bariatric surgeon benefit is that we go from, we understand the medicine and the treatments on as far down as we go in terms of surgery. So the whole spectrum. When we see, you know, you want to be able to touch base with them to look at insurance coverage. And then what other requirements are you going to need to do uh, to get uh, different treatments? And then if your BMI is lower, then they can point you in the right direction of a medical doctor who can prescribe those uh, other medical options. Now, for our, uh, for me... I do have a website that I made in about five minutes. And when I was making it, I didn't have my TikTok up yet. So there are links on that website, which is johntanmd.com. Try to keep it simple and that everything is either johntanmd or Dr. John Tan on social media and on the internet. And then if there's the links to YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and my employer website, on my employer website, there's also more seminars and interviews, some of the news interviews that we've done, and then just some other general nutritional information. And and then once uh, patients are in our clinic, we also have an online support group that they can join that's on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. We will link all of that in the show notes. So if you are interested, you can check that out. Um, I really appreciate your time. This was really interesting and hopefully we'll 
change some perceptions and also give people who are looking for it resources to take that step. Well, thank you for having me on today. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. If you've tried to lose weight in the past but haven't been able to keep the weight off and you meet certain requirements, you may be a candidate for weight loss surgery. Visit hcamidwest.com slash weight loss to calculate your BMI, take a weight loss quiz to find out if you're a candidate for weight loss surgery, and find a physician. Thank you again for spending part of your day with us. We would love for you to share this podcast with other Kansas City moms, as well as rate and review, as this helps others find us. We would also love to hear from you, whether it's to share what you loved about today's episode, an idea for a future topic, or just to tell us how you're doing. We are here for you. You can email us anytime at kcmcpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time on another episode of Kansas City Momcast.